This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Have you ever been punished in a way that didn't seem to fit the crime? Like when both you and your sister got punished when they were the ones who were causing all the trouble? Well, on today's podcast, we'll learn from Moses' tragic misstep here at Meribah and the consequences of that one lapse in character. On some levels, his punishment doesn't seem to have fit the crime. But as we'll discover, this is about a lot more than this one instance. It represents something far more important. Now, I'll be referencing the first 13 verses of Numbers chapter 20, and the entire chapter is very instructive for you to read, and so I'll encourage you to do that. In the interest of time, I'll only make reference to these verses. I won't read them today, but I hope that you'll read them before you continue on in the podcast today. Now, there's really so much here to cover because this is the same song and the second verse. Go all the way back with me to Exodus chapter 17. Remember that God's people were fresh off their triumphant exit from slavery in Egypt after having experienced a miraculous emancipation in an overnight parade out of a land that had been decimated by the plagues and eventually the sorrow of death of the firstborn. They had experienced all the miraculous direction and protection and provision of God on their way to Sinai. And yet in their complaining, God, they begin to cry out against God asking for water. And God stands on the rock before them in a graphic display and commands Moses to strike the rock, thereby striking God himself. God wanted these people to know that their complaining was literally a slap in his face. From the rock that was their salvation, quite literally, flowed the water of life. Paul calls Christ our spiritual rock in 1 Corinthians, and Jesus invites those who are thirsty to come and drink of him as that water that flowed from the rock at the celebration of that festival that's designed to commemorate these very events a thousand years later. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast on Exodus 17 for more information about that event. But now, fast forward 40 years from the time that the first rock encounter had happened in the wilderness of sin. The people had wandered in this wilderness this time for 40 years. Massive amounts of them have met with their death, an average of 75 to 80 people a day for 40 years straight. And now, almost as a test to review all that they had learned, or in this case, hadn't learned, they come again to Moses and again demand water in the wilderness. They quarrel with him. They'd lost all hope, even opining that they wished that they had perished with their brothers who died before the Lord. These were the men with Korah. Men who questioned Moses' leadership, they said, I would rather have died the way they did than to be out here in the desert with no water. And so they even voiced their complaint in the same way. They accused Moses, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us from Egypt to bring us into this place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. 
You see, they're accusing Moses of the same thing that Korah and the 250 with him had been swallowed up into the earth for wandering just a few chapters earlier. And yet, upon further study, their accusations are really about more than water, though. You see, these people use water as an excuse to rail against Moses. They call this place an evil place. That's in verse 5. This is the same word used to describe the report of the 10 unbelieving spies who had entered the promised land. You see what they're doing? They're actually accusing Moses of leading them into the wilderness and not into the promised land. When it wasn't Moses' idea to spend 40 years in the desert, it was their unbelief that caused them to wilderness wandering. Plus, Moses wasn't even leading them. It was God. He's the one in the cloud on the fire, and yet they're levying all their accusations at Moses. Moses ordinarily has a great track record of handling this stuff well, but this time was different because he gets instructions from the Lord to take the staff in his hand and instead speak to the rock while they watch and it will yield water. But instead, he stands to address the people and not the rock, which is what he was supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be speaking to the rock and the people are watching. Instead, he's speaking to the people. And he says to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? In one sense, you can sympathize with Moses' frustration. And yet, a closer look reveals some alarming attitudes in their leader. For one thing, Moses calls them rebels. Now, name-calling is not a good look on God's man. Though they're rebellious, they aren't his people, so they aren't rebelling against him, but against God. The other flaw here is that Moses instead feels the responsibility to take matters into his own, own hands, quite literally, actually, rather than pray for God to do something. He says, must we bring water out of this rock for you? You see, his belligerent anger and reaction had betrayed the pressures of his heart. He felt responsible for these people. In his own flesh, he thought he was the one who had to do something here, as if he could bring about water for millions of people in the desert. And yet Moses' reactions were tragic, as he would never set foot in the land he was initially called to bring these people to because of this event. Standing in the balance of his rash, impetuous, reactive anger was the calling of his life, and he wasted it with one frustrated response. The reason for this is because he disobeyed. His obedience would have demonstrated God's holiness to the people, and yet his disobedience destroyed God's righteousness in the sight of this people. Now, there's rich historical and theological significance in these verses, but on the surface, it seems a bit harsh. Moses has listened to these people complain for what must have seemed like a lifetime. He'd begged God and interceded on behalf of this crazy people to spare their lives in God's presence. He'd mediated swift and harsh punishment for their complaining at God's provision. And now, in one instance, he loses the right to lead them into the promised land. It seems, from a human perspective, like a really, really grave punishment. Moses takes the words of this assembly to the meeting, to the tent of meeting before God. They've complained about not having water, even wishing themselves to have died with the spies, begging God to quench their thirst. 
But what's so astounding is that after they refuse to believe God in entering the promised land, God is still striving with his people, still leading them, still providing for them. It's incredible. At the same time, rather than destroy them immediately, God is content to allow them to die of natural causes rather than outright judgment. He's so gracious to them that he lets them die off in the wilderness and feeds them every day until they do. However, even more, grace is seen in that he is still with them, still providing for them. Amid their disobedience and rebellion, God instructs Moses to take the staff and to speak to the rock. The question I have here then is, why would God want him to take the staff but speak to the rock? Well, I wonder if it's a test of obedience. Remember back in Exodus 17, God commands Moses to strike the rock and the water comes forth. But this time he's told to take the staff with him, but instead to speak to the rock. Now, if you study the passage in Exodus 17, the language intimates that these people were testing God, literally putting God in the box of judgment. And we're told that the Lord stands there in front of them on the rock at Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. In striking the rock, the water of life flowed down to nourish the people. Now, the more things change here, the more they stay the same. These people are stiff-necked. Bodies fall into the floor day after day and they still complain and still accuse rather than repent and recognize that they're dependent on God. How long will it take for us? How many dreams have to die in our lives? How many years do we have to wander in the desert of our own pride before we break down and stop complaining and start repenting of our sin? As a leader, the problem is never the problem. When people complain to leadership about an issue, there are often symptoms of a deeper issue at heart. The water wasn't the problem. It was their frustration with their situation. Don't get lost in the weeds of addressing symptoms without considering what might be the deeper cause. The real problem here on display was not the people's discontent, but their disrespect of their leader. Moses had to live to a higher standard. When his focus shifted from responding to God's leadership to reacting to how the people followed God, Moses' leadership was in dangerous peril. As a leader, our focus must not be fixed on the opposition, but on obedience. What has God said to do? The moment we focus on resistance and not obedience, we're headed for disaster. You see, God was not asking Moses to fix the people's complaining. He was asking Moses to follow the Lord's command. Now, there's great danger for a leader who would instead respond to the people's complaints than the Lord's commands. Moses failed to realize that this was God's people and not his, as evidenced by his frustration here. They were the Lord's possession, and he was powerless to change their minds or their hearts or to provide for the more profound needs underlying their complaints. He was only responsible for staying laser-focused on doing what God had asked him to do. Moses' obedience to God's command demonstrated God's holiness, and his disobedience violated God's righteousness. Moses responded to people's disobedience with his own disobedience. You see, Verse 12 is a particular note. Obedience is the proof of our trust in God to demonstrate his holiness in the sight of the people. How we prove or display our faith in God's ability is to do what he says. Not what we think should be done. Not what our frustration encourages us to do at the moment. Obedience is only the wise and godly course of action. But there's more here than just a physical event. 
You see, in the Exodus passage, the gospel thread begins to show. In the first incidents, God would literally stand in the box of judgment in their place and receive the striking blow. 1 Corinthians 10.4 helps us. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, verse 6, God was not pleased with most of them, since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did, for they all ate the same spiritual food. Here we have a clue as to why God punished Moses so severely. You see, for Moses to strike the rock again would have meant that God's provision for them was not enough. Since that provision of water was made to illustrate the sacrifice of Jesus and his sufficiency, that would have meant that Jesus' sacrifice in providing the living water was not enough. You see, he was only judged for our sins once for all time. He no longer has to be struck, for his sacrifice is sufficient. He must only now need to be called upon for sustaining water in the time of thirst and famine. We can call on our God. He no longer needs to be struck. He's able, through his one sacrifice, to fulfill our needs at all times. However, when we don't listen to his instructions and we think that we know better, we believe that we have things figured out. We rush to make assumptions about God and about ourselves, and that's going to get us in trouble, just like it did Moses in this passage. So I have to ask myself, do I trust God enough to demonstrate his holiness among his people, to obey him when I am frustrated and threatened? Do I react out of fear and defensiveness when I'm challenged? Or do I walk in obedience to God and humility to others with love and respect? Is my response to speak to the rock in obedience or to speak to the people in disobedience in these moments? You see, who you address in these moments is the difference between obedience and disobedience. So God, we pray, forgive us for our disobedience. Help us to stay laser-focused in obeying you in our own life and in every facet of our leadership, in our home, in our families, in our church, in every sphere of influence, may our obedience demonstrate our trust in God to demonstrate his holiness. So God, help us to be faithful with every moment in your name. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.